and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast for another week of film photography based goodness and boy have we got some film photography based goodness in store for you this evening. Um, this is an unusual one because as hosts go I'm all by myself this evening which is both unusual and upsetting actually. I've been completely abandoned by all of my co-hosts um, with a variety of excuses most of which are listen that's far too late for us to do this. Um, so that's a bit of a sad thing, but not to worry because I have got a fantastic two for the price of the one guests going on this evening. Joining me to talk about something which is quite close to my heart. Uh, it's something that I have a real love and uh, quite frequently real hate for. Um, tonight we're going to be talking about the most wonderful of subjects, Soviet cameras, and I have two awesome guest to talk to about with this. Uh, joining me is Vladislav Kern, Vlad Kern, and Mark Beadle. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Hello Thanks. <laughs> Thanks yeah. <laughs> Good to be here. It's great to have you both here. Now, Vlad, I have heard you speaking before on the Classic Lenses podcast a couple of times. I know you from there. Mark, I've never heard yeah. you on a podcast before. Have Is this your podcast debut? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's not like oh, I'm, I always get like stage fright, so I'm not really the type of guy to come on this type of thing. <laughs> I think you're going to be awesome, and it's a real delight to have you here. Because originally, I got in touch with Vlad and said, "Listen, I've heard you talking on Classic Lenses. You're awesome. You have some fantastic stories. We need to talk about these cameras because, as I said, I have feelings on them, and you are very much somebody to talk to about them. Because as we're doing this, this is just going to be an audio-only podcast. Do not rush to YouTube. But I regrettably must inform people who can't see what I can see is that Vlad has behind him a spectacular walls, multiple walls <laughs> of floor-to-ceiling cameras in cabinets. It is. It is immense. Museums would quake in the awesomeness of what I am seeing. So Vlad is very much somebody who I thought, we need to talk about this, the Russian cameras. But Vlad said to me, yeah, could we also get Mark on? Because I mostly collect them and Mark actually uses them, which seems like a very, very good thing to have on board. So gentlemen, welcome to both of you. It is a delight to have you here. Um, I suppose a good place to start this conversation is why uh, either of you are engaging with these things. So, Vlad, let's start with you. As I said, you have, well, how many cameras? Do you do you have a number for how many cameras you currently own? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I'm maybe around 1,100 at this point. 1,100. <laughs> That's an 11 and two zeros. Yeah, and I'm just scratching the surface, to be honest. Oh, boy. And... I'm are these all cameras from the former Soviet Union? It's former USSR, past Soviet, so form, like former republics, also mm -hmm. the uh, pre-USSR. So I have some of the like uh, Imperial Russian cameras and the stuff that's been rebranded and imported into Russia. So they all have like little tags on them saying uh, different like uh, Russian uh, uh, trade houses that would, that would be selling them. Um, just like an interesting topic because there's uh, you get some really interesting French and German cameras, which is kind of Russian branding, so and in the old Russian script, too, because the, the alphabet before uh, 1917 in Soviet Union was a little bit different, it had like two extra letters that are not there anymore. So, you, <laughs> you see those on those tags, it's kind of cool, yeah. very retro. So, what got you into all of this? Because from listening to you, as I said, I know that you have fallen as deep down this hole as it's possible for them. What got you into these cameras in the first place? 
Uh, probably because I like to tinker with stuff. I mean, mostly uh, I, I like to take things apart, but I know I'll put them back together. <laughs> 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 so from like an early age i mean the only way my parents were distracting me so i could i could eat they would give me an old uh VEF. it was a latvian factory uh transistor radio so i would sit there with a screwdriver just taking it apart so they can distract me well since then i just kind of like everything mechanical electronic and just just gadgets i mean uh, that's why i'm not i'm not huge on optics lenses i don't collect lenses i don't collect any kind of accessories mm -hmm. i'm all about the actual mechanics of the cameras and uh just the statics of them yeah so uh, as people will have noted from your name and possibly the slight hint of an accent you've got um you are you from russia yourself no i'm not uh, I was actually born in Georgia, Republic of Georgia, which yeah. was part of USSR. So yeah. Russian was a common language for all the republics. So I mean, I grew up speaking Russian. Yeah. And when um, did you move to the States? Because you're in Chicago now. Right. I moved to the States in 1984. Mm -hmm. So I've been here quite a lot. Probably most of my life, you can say that. I mean, I moved here was when I was 15. I left Georgia. Um, and since then... I mean, I consider it probably myself an American at this point more than, uh, but I go back to Georgia. I mean, I love that country and uh, it's absolutely a blast every time I go there and always come back with a, uh, last time I had to pay 200 <laughs> euro, euro overweight for my suitcase because I was dragging half the flea market back with me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, but I mean, when you get, to that region and uh with the shipping that i pay for soviet cameras here living in us i pretty much just want to buy everything so i had the heaviest suitcases and uh, the customs were like what is this stuff i mean it's just pure uh metal scrapped <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh and they didn't understand what some of the things are i had to explain to them that these are cameras from 1930s mm -hmm. <laughs> and to unfold them they're like he's like the the customs guy's like what do you need this for i'm like oh, i collect them he's like he's looking at it looking and i just just like started waving wave his hand just just go <laughs> just, just like, i don't even know i don't even know what it is just go <laughs> ignore the flate faint traces yeah, of a um, nuclear radiation coming off them <laughs> that's fine yeah I, I mean he was really confused like why i need this for and like he's like he's just looked at me like i was crazy i'm like yeah, you know just like just leave the country <laughs> i think that's a fair response um did you did you get into like I know you said you were into taking things apart. Was photography a hobby? Did you get into photography and then the camera collecting grew from there? Or was it more a case of, oh, these are objects that I can collect? Could it just have easily have been radios that you collected? No, I was always I was I liked photography. I mean, I didn't shoot a lot on film. I mean, a lot of it comes from like my parents. Um, my dad was shooting on film on a Fat Three camera, so that kind of was left memorable impression. But uh, myself, I was shooting mostly digital, starting from like Mavica, Sony Mavica floppy disks, mm -hmm. and uh, going on to Nikon's, and now I switch back, switch to Fuji. I put on retro, retro lenses on that sometimes. Mm -hmm. I like the Helios 77 M4, the look of that. It's like really sharp lens. And uh, um, the the reason, I, I mean, the reason I started collecting these, I just went to my friend's house and he had an old uh, Zenit, uh, I think it was a Zenit 3 or 3M, 
just in his basement. I'm like, what is this? This is cool. Started like, you know, picked it up. And then I thought like, it would be nice to look what's out there. I started browsing eBay and, you know, I got the worst case of gas and started buying everything in quantities by 15, 20 a box. I mean, my, my, I think my postman blames his hernia on me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I, it's, it's just kind of became like an obsession. And I mean, I mostly started, just became fascinated with history of it, history and uh, the variations. I mean, the, the amazing things about Soviet cameras are that I don't think you can replicate any other topic is that nobody knows what they were, what was made there. I mean, we're still discovering new models almost every month, uh, just because everything was made in military factories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, those military factories, 95% of it was military production. They're using, they're making uh, everything from airplane parts to like military binoculars to periscopes and stuff like that. But I mean, because they didn't want to say it's military, uh, this factory was considered a camera factory, even though they were 5% of it only was made cameras. So they were famous for cameras, but uh, it was a very, very little, uh, I guess, I guess the minority of production was cameras. Uh, most of it was all the military stuff that was top secret a lot of the time. So the archives were top secret. So like, so they would bundle all the archives with cameras uh, and a lot of these uh, factories to be top secret. So you don't know what they actually produced. I mean, there's there's a factory in Belarus to this day, Belomo factory in Minsk that uh, nobody has access to the archives. I mean, there's like no information I mean, there's information whatever collectors found most of the time and and from the stories of the uh, the designers of the cameras but the actual official documentation of some of these cameras like you, you get with leica when you see and there's a catalog of every single serial number cataloged meticulously you will not get that with survey cameras and i mean we're amazed to some of the models just just discover that uh that comes out to comes to light uh I mean, it's it's a mystery of it all. <laughs> you yeah. put it this way. Yeah, uh, it's, if you like hunting down stories, it seems like a really ripe um, feel for that. Mark, what's your story? Why? As I, I can, I can now understand what got Vlad to where he is now. Um, but you're out there shooting with these things, and as somebody who has shot with some of these things, that is in some ways harder to understand. Why? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good question because I can't really answer that myself. Um, I don't know. I, you know, like as Vlad says, there the the, the mechanical feel of them's it's so rough. I actually, <laughs> <enjoy it. laughs> um, you know, the, the another lad I know describes that like sort of Arsenal hated fingers at one point. The grip on the lenses, etc., was so like sharp. Mm-hmm. But I enjoy it. I find it easier to, to focus with it. And I, I, I don't know where it really started from. Uh, I got into it because I was shooting vintage lenses on my Fuji. Yeah. Um, buying like the odd cameras here and there, and they they come with them. The the, the bodies were like a cap. I mm-hmm. considered them out for a long time, and then one day I stumbled across the Soviet cameras group, and uh, it sort of escalated meteorically from there like bumped into vlad 
and another lad called Andre who lives in Kazakhstan and you know they often depict to like an angel and a devil on your shoulder mm -hmm. <laughs> so I've got Vlad there saying we'll buy it we'll buy it and then I've got someone like Andre there saying yeah buy it and fix it as well <laughs> and then shoot it's honestly it's a never-ending cycle but it's it, it becomes a labor of love because I strip them all down when I get them and then uh, like clean lubricate them and stuff and then it's sort of when you when you get the results out of it it's it's quite pleasing sure what was the camera because you said you bought quite a few which essentially worked as lens caps for the lenses that you were buying which i completely understand um what was the first one of these that you picked up and connected with what was the model zenit 3m zenit 3m hi it's and it's so rough aren't they? they like i don't know i just i loved it the, the, that that very basic ground glass focus screen mm -hmm. and it, i don't know i did I, it just resonated with us for some unknown reason um i think it's impossible to pick up a zenit and use it and not have an emotional connection with it um i think more often, that connection is probably likely to be somewhere between deep frustration and pure rage. A, a friend of ours, Toby, uh, shared a picture on Twitter. Um, he'd been out shooting with a Zenit TTL, I think it was. And <laughs> the picture was, stop me if you've heard this one before, it's from the end of the roll of film, just torn and sunder, just ripped apart. <laughs> it's like, um, is this usual? And everyone's response was, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're shooting with a Zenit. Of course it ripped your film apart. But you <laughs> what did you think it was going to do? <laughs> The thing is, though, as well, a lot of it's down to just the fact that people are not they're picking these cameras up and they haven't been had any sort of servicing or sympathy at all mm. in their entire lives. So you could, if you pick one up and clean it and learn how to like fix it a little bit, even yourself, mm -hmm. then you've got a fairly decent camera. People just people are quick to trash them, and mm -hmm. they don't know what they're missing. As far as I'm concerned, that's good though, right? That's good because one of the things is that um, a lot of the more common ones, uh, like I mean, we talked about the Zenits and the things like the Feds and the Zorkies, of what there are a lot of them out there. The common models are readily available and they're pretty cheap as well, still. Um, but as you were saying, if they've never had any love, Probably not even when they left the factory, they'd never had any love. Um, oh, yeah. They're a bit of a risk. With these cameras, would you say that it's possible to get them to a state and an operational state that's better than they were when they left the cam when they left the factories? Maybe I'm not at that level yet, but I do know people who can do it. Yeah. There's, a, there's a few people around, um, certainly in Eastern Europe, who are, who are capable of doing it, um, of getting them to better than factory level. In fact, Andrew, who I've mentioned before there, he actually got a camera that didn't have its flash sync connected at all from the factory. So <laughs> once he connected that up, it was instantly better than... Yeah. Yeah, that makes but... sense. That would definitely improve it. Um, Vlad, I'm interested in... I mean, you said you love finding out the stories and the history with this stuff. I am really interested to get an idea of the early history of uh, these cameras. So I'm guessing that there was quite a big difference in what was being made pre-war to what happened post-war, because I know that post-war, following on from the um, designs and stuff like that that they acquired, things changed very drastically. So what was the early camera manufacturing scene like 
in Russia and the surrounding republics, and how did that change after the Second World War? Well, technically, there was no photographic industry as as we speak of until about 1926 in the uh, USSR, uh, and uh, it just because I mean. Soviet Union and Russia were busy with the whole revolution and the civil war and mm -hmm. kind of recovering and the and the and the hunger and and at some point uh, Lenin said like we need to start pushing the communist propaganda uh, to other countries we want everybody to be communist so we need to show them how good we have it so let's just start producing cameras so regular people can pick them up and uh, take. Uh, uh, take photos and and we can share it with uh, with the West and show how good the Soviet Union is doing and so on. So the very first camera that was um, started manufacture in USSR was in a small uh, shop called uh, Artel Nova Escola, which is basically uh, like an artisan shop, new school. That's what it's translated as. Um, they started making after uh, and. Arfo cameras. Those are basically like folders. I mean, if you're familiar with uh, White Lane, or uh, ideal type of cameras. Um, they're like 9 by 12 folders. Uh, there's some smaller formats. Uh, they made them in a fairly small quantities. They were atrocious. I mean, it was very horrible quality. Um, they would literally just use hammer to make them. I mean, really, <laughs> and and I'm, I'm not joking. I mean, they had like, they, they basically like Put them together, and in the end, they had a guy with a hammer just correcting stuff. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like me correcting things with a hammer. It sounds like my kind of job. <laughs> Boy, if only the camera right. industry hadn't moved on. <laughs> so that was like the first attempts. It was in Moscow. Then uh, they started up, and then they 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 established the um, the Gomes uh, factory, which is uh, now n known as Lomo in uh, Leningrad. So they. Kind of took a little bit more more mass-produced approach to it. They started making photocore cameras, which are kind of the same folders, but they still had a guy in the end of the assembly line with a hammer. <laughs> so, so um, it got so bad at some point that uh, there was a national tribunal uh, because of the poor quality of these cameras, and and the and the factory was convicted by the national tribunal <laughs> of making subpar cameras. So they eventually started just. To cancel the whole line uh, right before the war started, but at the same time in Ukraine, Soviet Ukraine and in, in Kharkov, um, they nobody knows the exact origins. Some people say uh, it, it under with a license of, of with the, from Germany, but in 1932 they made a copy of Leica One in Kharkov and called Fedka. So it was a Fed com Fed uh, labor commune for little kids, kids and uh, adolescents. Uh, so they it wasn't like an experimental model. Uh, at the same time, I mean, they had like a contest uh, because Leica was became super popular in uh, late 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 twenties, early thirties in Europe. So um, I mean, the easiest way was to basically copy the design. Um, they uh, so the the Communist Party said, okay, let's have a competition. Uh, we'll give uh, the task to a few factories uh there was one in in moscow and uh there was one in, in leningrad and there was one in uh in kharkov the fed so there was a von pioneer there was a camera called a fag fag uh by uh, geodesia and uh, 
and there was also a camera by Fed. So Fed was the only one that was given a green light, even though the prototype uh, series exists of the other cameras, and they're extremely hard to find and extremely expensive. If you find them now, I mean, a Voomp Pioneer will probably cost you close to $20,000 at this point, uh, if you are lucky to find one. Uh, but so the Fed won kind of the contest and they gave it a go ahead to start producing it in the labor commune that started kind of slowly becoming a, a factory. So they had they had adolescents uh, working in shops under supervision. I was kind of work study program. Um, so they in 1934 they started a serial production. It was actually now a copy of like a two with a top rangefinder housing. Uh, so it, it was a little bit more complex camera, <clears throat> and they actually made them all. Uh, were super popular. The quality was not that bad. I mean, I mean, if you find a pre-war camera right now, I mean, if, with some CLA, it's a pretty good shooter. Uh, the lenses were nice, uh, especially if you find the Commander version with uh, f2 lens on it. It was a uh, Taylor Hobson uh, copy uh, of the f2 lens. Uh, a lot of people confuse them with uh, the uh, Leica lights with a sumitar i think uh, but it is not uh it's actually a taylor hobson uh, uh lens uh formula um and uh, and so this was the before the war situation but this really was uh m like mass mass produced were photocore and fed there were smaller cameras there was like a small production of a uh, reporter in gomes factory was a big uh, makina copy very cool camera. I mean, it's very hard to find now. Also very expensive. Uh, also, there was a pre-war Smana uh, that has nothing to do with a post-war Smana. The, the pre-war Smana was basically a copy of Kodak Bantam. Uh, it was kind of like a clap type of camera. There was the, there, there was also a tourist camera by Gomes. There was like a clap camera as well. There was uh, plates, I believe, uh, six by nine plates, if I'm not mistaken. So there was a small selection of them before before the war, but after the war, everything changed because uh, suddenly the USSR got access to all of the German technology. So through reparations, they uh, <clears throat> they were given Dresden and Yen of Zeiss factories. So they put both of these. Dresden was really bummed out. There was not not nothing left really i mean just some equipment whatever they could salvage they took uh, a lot of the glass blocks the shot glass uh, were taken from dresden and a bunch of parts context parts um, were taken and uh, from yana was more or less intact in yana they just basically took the entire factory put it on a train with the workers and everybody and just moved them to uh, ukraine to kiev uh, and a lot of the optics and a lot of the optic equipment was also moved to uh, Krasnogorsk in Russia. Uh, it was a, a small factory near uh, Moscow at a time, and that became like a huge uh, producer of uh, like very high quality optical equipment. I mean, and most of it was military, of course, but uh, whatever the civilian production got was like very high quality. I mean, Krasnogorsk KMZ factory was is probably one of the uh, most respected factories at this point. Uh, if you look at the history of USSR kind of photo industry overall, uh, and and between the, all the US Soviet consumers uh, back in the day, I mean the UKMZ stuff was very sought after because it was quite quite well made. And and when you say when you people say like no, like all this 
in the 19, late 70s, 80s, all this Soviet production became crap. Uh, I, I would have to argue, and I think Alek Halyabin in the last article that uh, Stephen Doling put out rega- regarding um, Soviet production, he said exactly the same thing, that uh, KMZ quality control never uh, became worse. Mm-hmm. So, so any, I mean, most of the stuff that you find by KMZ is pretty solid. I mean, the, and as, as Mark said also, I mean, if you take a 50-year-old camera, any camera, uh, and it's not going to work well, but if you, with some CLA, you'll get a pretty decent shooter. And I've seen him do this. I mean, he, he does stuff I'm afraid to touch because last time I took apart the Zenit, uh, a spring fell out. Uh, actually, it flew out, and I could never find it. Even after I turned on the whole uh, place with the walls and everything, I still could, didn't find that spring. So since then, <laughs> I, st- I stopped taking stuff apart because now I'm not going to be able to put it back together. Yeah. So that's why I dragged Mark over, dragged Mark over here because he knows he he's he's done this. He's a lot braver person than I am. I still use and screws too, though. <laughs> you know, that's why I have donor bodies. <laughs> <laughs> so. Have you always been somebody who has liked taking things apart and also putting them back together, Mark? Has that also been a hallmark of your life? That started with cars for me from, like, about 15. Mm-hmm. I really like tearing cars apart and fixing them or tuning them. Um, yeah, it started from, from cars, and then, like, I got a bit older, I got arthritis, and I had to sort of dial it back a bit and then moved into sort of collecting or hoarding things, if you like. mm mm-hmm. uh, before I picked up my photography interest in it, my wife would agree with this. Is I'm like a, I'm a bit of an obsessive sort of person. Um, so I dove into photography, had to I'd start enjoying that and getting as good as I could. Yeah, vintage lenses, then film cameras, and then collecting the film cameras as well as shooting with them. It's uh, yeah. So did did the um, taking those apart, was that something that you just decided to do because you like seeing how things work? Or was it a case of, ah, this is a camera I actually want to be using. I think I can fix this. What what was the thing that... T- t- because there's a difference. Like, working on cars is micro. Macro? Macro. Working on cars is macro. Working on cameras is micro. It's small yeah. and it's fiddly and um, it makes your fingers itch just looking at the size of the screws. What yeah. prompted that? It was it was wanting to use it really, um, because like I've I'm a, like I've got a mechanical background, so it, it, I, I just uh, sometimes people have said like you know you've got to realize that these hands are made to uh, fix boilers or cars, and it's like oh, I can definitely turn them into clockwork. So it's it's a challenge for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I really I really wanted to shoot with a I think it was it was it was a Zenit three M. I really wanted to shoot with it, so I took it apart and I thought, right, I, I can definitely do this. Um, and I managed at that time, then I got a, a little step braver, took a Zorky 3, <laughs> Zorky 3S apart. Uh, Vlad will remember this one. I, I lost my tempo with it and threw it <laughs> up the garden. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I lost a lot of parts that day. Uh, and then I felt bad straight afterwards. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that, that hasn't ever gone back together again and it serves as <laughs> really a what after you threw it up the garden that didn't solve the problem <laughs> go back together again but like uh, it's a good reminder of like yeah you've got to just choose when to walk away sometimes because <laughs> yeah <laughs> the can't get better of you 
Yeah, Vlad mentioned the fact that there's this um, idea that particularly in the 70s and into 80s that the quality levels of most of the manufacturing, not all, clearly, because the KMZ stuff stayed true to what it was doing, but a lot of it dropped off a cliff. Do you notice that in the stuff you're trying to repair? Is there a certain uh, era, certain cameras, which you just pick up and go, this isn't working I'm going to put that down over there and never look at it again because there's just no point. I'll try anything. Really? Just <laughs> for the sake of it? No, He's been but... battling with drug for like last uh, three weeks? <laughs> Four weeks? Well, you know. <laughs> That's a horror story. <laughs> there's two of them lying in, lying in pieces. Uh, they're, they're a unique camera. Um, I'll get to that in a sec, though. I'll go, go back to what you were saying there. I don't know. I, I, I don't think I would say that the quality dropped off too badly. I've mm-hmm. I've got like Arsenal cameras from like the mid eighties, where people actively call them trash, and the shutters work fine on them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no issues. Everything everything works great. One of my best users of Kiev cameras is a is an eighty five Kiev four. So I I don't know. I, Maybe it did. I mean, I've got more respect for the people who have been doing this for a lot of years, so it it must be true to an extent, but from what I'm finding, it's all much and such. Sure. But these this this drug camera, wow. Uh, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's got terrible frame overlapping because I let I let Vlad describe it better because he's well more well acquainted with them. What is I the drug? Know, I've never even heard of a drug unless Let it's from a clockwork orange. Well, let me quick, quickly grab one. So, but I know I know all the listeners are not going to see it, but at least you'll <laughs> understand the idea. I can describe it a little bit. Okay, you go get a drug. <laughs> I like it. Of it better. <laughs> uh, this, I mean, because this is the thing. Like quality-wise, plenty of cameras break. But oh, okay, here we go. Like, let's see what we've got here. All right. So it's like a. It's basically it looks like a Canon Seven, maybe, but it has the uh, Lake of It type of uh, lever on the bottom. Okay. So you wind the wind the film by moving this back and forth. Yeah. Uh, but it's absolutely insane inside. I mean, I, if if you take it apart, the bottom part there's like a bicycle chain type of thing going on here. Right. Uh, oh, so, so, the, so that like shutter a... winder goes. Can you show me the shutter? Right? The the wind. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, that, I've seen shutters, shutter um, things on the bottom of cameras before. Never one that just goes down as opposed to <laughs> backwards. That's unique. Right. It go, you just slide it back and forth, like uh-huh. in the lake of it attachment for like a. Uh, it's just the insides. I mean, it's more like a bicycle than a camera, but so it's absolutely <laughs> nightmarish uh, construction inside. And Mark's been basically battling with this for the last months, probably, because it would overlap frames and. Uh, Again, I want to go back to this. I mean, it was an absolutely amazing interview that on uh, Cosmo Photo that with Alek Kolevin, he's one of the most famous uh, repairmen in the world of Soviet cameras. And he, he said something absolutely profound that if you're into Russian cameras, get uh, stuff that's been mass produced, like a Zorky 4, Fat 2, Zenit Ye, because those cameras are refined. They're mm-hmm. made so many of them, and you know they're going to work. Like more exotic stuff, like we just showed. I mean, yeah, I, I have a working one. I think I grabbed a non-working one, but I have a working one and I, that I was actually CLA by uh, uh, Fatka in New York. Uh, and it, it works amazingly. I mean, it's very smooth, but it's it's so exotic. And it, they, the mechanisms, they weren't like completely proven themselves because they made very little of them just because of that. I mean, it's 
they made maybe a few thousand and they decided no it's too complex to produce uh and it's uh not not necessary i mean you know like you can get the same thing off of zorky 4 and we can produce them like 10 times faster so everything was about efficiency in, in the ussr factories they wanted to produce the, the more cameras uh in in the least amount of time possible so when you find this kind of weird little i mean i would say it's pretty cool construction i mean this is very interesting cameras but mm. there if you find one that's not working it's absolute nightmare to fix yeah uh it, same goes for zenit 7 i don't think for every 20 zenit 7s i only seen one that works uh and uh, people fix them they ship them they get to the destination and they don't work Again, just if you shake him a little bit, that's done. No, I've seen this so many times. I mean, people like uh, I just had a friend buy one, and the 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 guy who's selling it, he he fixed it. He shot a video uh, of it working, uh, like basically demonstrating it. It got it got to U.S. United States, and he took it out, and it's jammed. Like he couldn't even wind it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just they just magically stop working so same thing with those those zenit 4 zenit 5 zenit 6 like small quantities if you're a user uh probably don't get them leave them leave them for us collectors we, sure. we put them nicely on the shelf they they look really they cool look there <laughs> plus more for us <laughs> what was that sorry mark the almas that's that's another one it's uh, i had one that was working mm -hmm. and i looked for a while and i found one that was sort of like it looks rough and when i messaged him he was like oh yes it's working i was like yeah i believe this guy it's that bad condition it's been well used so i thought yeah i'm gonna go for this it started for a couple of weeks it was sort of like worrying about using it that's the baby it's beautiful but uh i took a roll of film to it loaded it in and when i went to wind on the shutter jammed up <laughs> Yeah, it's a Nikon copy of yeah. the FG. So this is one of the things I wanted to ask about because there seems to be quite a lot of... Um, I don't know. Think that there's, the, the whole story doesn't make an awful lot of sense to me in so many ways, the way that the camera manufacturer went on. So for one thing, um, as you've already mentioned, I think, that there was Fed and Zorki and Kiev um, all making rangefinder cameras. Um was there why was why was there so much i mean you know germany had leica working away you know there was competing with itself within the country um what was the reason that there were so many distinct brands making clones of different types of cameras because am i right in saying that a lot of this was not for the home market particularly uh, it, no it actually was i mean the it wasn't really a competition. It was an attempt to produce as many cameras as possible of different varieties. Because, I mean, they look to the West and see, oh, yeah, oh, now there's uh, this really cool 35 millimeter camera. And look at this. They all use this Acfor Rapid ca cassettes. That's really cool. You know, like we want one like this. Mm -hmm. like, oh, so we don't want to buy them from uh, Germany. Let's just make them. So they, they basically get inspired and start like, and so they made a whole series of cameras that use a uh, act for rapid cassettes, like a Zorki 12, Smena SL, Smena Rapid. Uh, so there's a series of cameras that 
that are compatible with them. I mean, they could, they could buy film, German film, and use them on and so on. It's it's really, it was really about demand, a consumer demand, uh, and they tried to keep a lot of this in house. Plus, a lot of it, and I think I explained it in the last podcast they wanted to compete with the west they, they were not competing with each other so they were basically producing similar cameras to the as the western counterparts but they were exporting them and because the russian sorry soviet currency it was um it was the same situation like they do right now in china i mean it was literally rigged so it's, it's cheaper uh the, the the currency conversion so they would they would export these cameras and they were magnitudes cheaper than the western counterparts they would be like three times cheaper so they would get like a nice metal and leather slr like a zenith for a fraction of a price of something you would get from canon or nikon uh, and it wouldn't be that much worse i mean by it will the optics were pretty decent i mean they used all the german equipment so everything had the route from the same type of system uh it would they would be compatible with some of the stuff like it would be compatible with with pentax screw mount for example you could put pentax lenses in you can swap them around but the bodies were absolutely dirt cheap and so th so there would the people would buy those cameras and they're super popular in uk i mean a toe london would ex import a huge amount of these cameras hundreds of thousands and just and they were selling like hotcakes because people look at nikon and like we don't need this professional camera you know for like 20 quid you can have uh something almost in insignificantly uh like insignificantly less in quality uh but uh you'll get a bank for your buck basically uh, mm. and uh, and ussr this way would get uh like a western currency they would they would get the hard currency that they really needed and they would buy stuff and they, they would um they would they would import uh food and I mean, I mean, it was the food situation was not really good. I mean, throughout the entire years of USSR, I mean, like you would get, uh, I would get those. I mean, I don't know, like coupons to to get uh, butter, for example. You couldn't just buy like two sticks of like you couldn't buy go out and buy like ten sticks of butter. You would get like every month you would get like two coupons for two sticks of butter. Even though, so, you would have to buy the rest from somebody else if they sell it. So, because of that, they would need hard currency to buy all the stuff and import it. And the cameras were one of the consumer products that they could easily import, export. I'm sorry uh, for um, hard currency. So, and it's really all about that. But so inside, but a lot of this was was also left for domestic market. But um, a lot of the stuff was specifically done for export. And uh, it was basically, we need to produce as many cameras as we can at the maximum capacity. Yeah. Uh, so this was the goal. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a competition. I mean, and, and the models were really, uh, they were looking what's in demand and out west, and they would do that. Like, like the Arsenal factory, uh, they would make those Kiev 19 cameras or Kiev 17 cameras that basically use the uh, Nikon mounts. And back in the 80s, uh, all of a sudden, uh, the color black cameras became really popular i mean before it was all like chrome tops you know leather so they started so they're like okay now we have to make black color cameras because they're more popular so they would they would mimic that mimic the market trends uh so they would look at the global market and just mimic everything they could um and there's like a really i wanted to address maybe talking myself too much but <laughs> uh i wanted to address a, an issue that somebody uh wrote on my instagram that kind of um uh 
got me all up in arms about it that uh, every Soviet camera was a copy. Um, I ha I would like strongly disagree with that. I mean, there were a lot of there are certain models that were copies, but they kind of served as a jumping point to develop models off of those bases. So like uh, the Zorky one, yeah, it was a copy of Fed. The Fed was a copy of Leica. But Zorky one was a much more progressive camera than than a Fed because of, uh, it had like an old like a, a solid frame inside, uh, a solid frame construction like a cast cast construction versus a Fed was basically uh, it wasn't like a solid cast. It was like many details that put together for the frame. Uh, and then the Zorky two, three, four, five, six. I mean, you won't find an analog, analog direct analog of those cameras in in the West. So a lot of this use the jumping point, but they're definitely, I wouldn't say they're copies. There's like probably nothing left yeah. of the ori originals there, if you think about it. Yeah. I'm interested. You said that um, for people buying them who are not collectors, um, that the best place to start looking is for the ones that were imported in large numbers, made in large numbers. Um Mark, I'd be really interested from the point of view of somebody who is going out and shooting and using these things, specifically in the realms of the more commonly available ones. Which ones, if somebody came to you now and said, I really want to get a Soviet camera, I'm open to anything, but I don't want to spend very much, so I don't want something super rare, which by the sounds of it probably is just as well, because super rare sounds like it's most likely to break down anyway, but what would you say these are the best ones to go for? And also, understanding that most people are not going to take them apart and yeah. not throw them down the garden. I mean, that might happen to anybody, but most people are not going to take them apart and probably a fairly small number of people are also going to get them serviced as well. Where's a good starting place? If you want to range find, I'd definitely get a Zorty 4. Um, for me, the bang for buck, they are the best. Yeah, why is that? Everything just works. The mm. viewfinder is really bright. Quite big. It's awkward if you wear glasses because you can scratch your frames because you have to get really close. To full, but I mean, we've all got the. That, that, I've got Kiev scratches on mine, but you know, or Kiev and Fed scratches. I don't yet have Zorky scratches. Well, you'll have to get yourself a Zorky mm. phone, do it. <laughs> Collect yeah. the scratches. Yeah. So we need. Um, it's a camera you definitely want. Uh, Fed Two works. That's. I'm not so fussed on the viewfinder on that, but it mm. feels lovely. Use. I've got a couple of Fed 2s now and yeah, they feel lovely. They're the only thing, the only thing about it, apart from the fact that obviously it's going to tell you like grass, glasses, to, they just, they like sharp edges. The only thing that I find throws me slightly is that the shutter button is just not quite where my finger wants to sit. You keep going to press the shutter button. It's like, no, I need to bend my finger back this way a bit to hit it. But yeah, that's a lovely feeling camera, that one. They are saying the Zorky Force has the best speed selection problem in your rangefinder you would find. It's uh, absolutely, uh, I mean, the Zorky 4K, they already took out some some speeds, but they added, uh, what do you call it, Mark? The the, 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 the tri trigger winder. Wind trigger winder, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but the Zorky 4 has an amazing selection of speeds. Probably, I mean, if I were to pick one to shoot myself, I would probably be Zorky 4 as well. I mean, it's, really? it's a really rounded camera uh, a lot of it produced i mean i have like two shells of them just because there's so many variations mm -hmm. um it's uh 
It's the camera I would take on holiday. They're they're good and reliable. Um, with the, uh, I've I said, I've never I don't own any Zorkies. I think it's I think it's the only mass-produced Russian cameras I've never owned one of. Um, do the Zorkies are they one of the cameras where you have to be careful? with changing shutter speed on them in regards to cocking them, winding them on, or are they past that? Because I know that quite a lot of them, you have to wind it on first and then change the shutter speed. Otherwise, there's a small risk the whole thing will explode in your hands. They can over jump, but I mean, that's a bit... I've I've done it before and I've never faced the problem. Mm-hmm. It's something, an issue with the slow speeds, but um, you, can, you can remedy that, taking the top cover off. Yeah, no... I, I, well refined, you know. The essentially Zorky Four is no different to the Zorky Three Three S. So they were made from what fifty four Vlad? Is that right? Three S. Uh, the Three S. It's about right. Yeah, the 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 fours were made from fifty six. Yeah, so I mean, the, it's basically the same camera, just with a self timer on. From what I know of, um, yeah, the, I mean, they're, they're really well refined and they tend to just work. Yeah. And for for an SLR, uh, you can't go wrong with a Zenity. <laughs> you say that in such a blasé way, but that is a camera I very much do own, and I, and I expect probably quite a lot of people have had their hands on them. And um, I, I've got, I think I've got a couple. I, I'm not sure whether there's E's or B's or whatever. The difference between the E and the B, which were the two very massively produced ones, it's the light meter, right? Right. Um, and at this point. Would I be right in saying that in most of them, those light meters are probably long, long dead? It depends if they were stored in the case or not. Yeah. Yeah. But if they weren't, then they probably aren't. But I mean, you can still use them without. Um, but the Zenits do seem to be violent with film. I don't use my air recon uh, film in them. No, <laughs> no. That's <laughs> because I can't imagine any amount of servicing is going to give it a more delicate frame movement <laughs> procedure. There's a frame I can use for what they are, but I'm not going to. Um, okay, yeah, they're yeah they're fairly rough, but it's the charm. There is, I mean, they do have a almost agricultural feel to them. Every, uh, um, as you were saying earlier, like the the fact that value proposition wise, especially when they're working properly compared to what was available at the time in terms of metal bodied cameras that you can use like the M42 lenses on, which was a huge range of lenses. Um, the value was phenomenal, but that, that feel is there. Like every switch, everything on it just feels very agricultural and loud and you know you're doing things <laughs> and you can when you hear it winding on you're like oh yeah i'm sure that's definitely tearing sprocket holes a new one <laughs> it feels like what it's doing is what it's doing um but i just strangely like that i don't know why but i <laughs> i think you just have a masochistic streak that you do this is how you're exploring it why do i tear cameras apart it doesn't make sense otherwise mm. I mean, with the Zenits, because you said, mentioned about the Zenit E, but to a layman's eyes, it seemed to me like the Zenit, essentially, from the Zenit B through to, I don't know what the last model they made was. Was it the, the Zenit 12 or something like that? Uh, I, no, for all I KM. know, they might still be making it. <laughs> but, no, it's a KM Plus, actually. That was the very last that was the best. Zenit. But they like 2000 something. They looked essentially exactly the same very minor tweaks be like this is the same camera you've been making this now for well how many years when when did the zenit b come out 
Well, the the Zenit E and B, I think they came out in nineteen fifty eight. Wow, or late to sixty, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so they they been making them for a while <laughs> through the through the eighties. Uh, plus, they also uh, added another factory to manufacture them as well. The the E's, it was mm-hmm. the the they basically expanded production to Belarus to Belomo factory. So you now you have Zenit E from Belomo, Zenit E from KMZ. But people, of course, look for KMZ stuff because Belomo weren't really good yeah. quality-wise. Um, plus, they, KMZ used better lenses and so on. Uh, but those Zenits, they, they're built like tanks. I mean, they and the reason they rip film because they're like designed for the Soviet Svema film. And some Svema film, you can like hang a car with it from it. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's made out of wood or something. I don't know. Or it's, it, it's absolutely. I mean, I, I think I was telling the story on another podcast too. With the the guy was a photographer, so he got a practica camera in USSR, and mm-hmm. after some certain use, I mean, all, all the gears were ground down by the summer film because like, they were plastic. Oh, crumb, so really? switch, Yeah, so they switched to back to Zenits because they had the metal gears for the for the sprocket advance. That's really interesting. That that well, that's good. It's good that there was an explanation for it. Um, that they, that Svema used carpet as as its um, emotion holder. So that's that's good to know. Um, because it's given that we had the Zorki, the Feds, and the um, Kievs, that there was only really that one main brand of SLRs. I mean, did are there any others that I just didn't hear of that never got going, or was the Zenits the only SLRs that were mass produced? No. No, there's plenty. There's uh, Arsenal was making key of key of seventeen nineteen series twenty. Uh, those are the uh, ones with an icon mount. Uh, okay. uh, they also had uh, medium format SLRs that were pretty popular. The six, the key of six uh, series, the key of sixty series, and so on, and and the and the Hasselblad copies. So those those the key of eighty eight, the salute, and all that model. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a few SLRs. I mean, there's. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at my. Al- Almaz was an SLR. Almaz was a very limited run uh, that uh, Lomo did. Um, it was essentially a nice camera, a very complex camera, but uh, it wasn't very reliable. Um, yeah, Zenit was probably the most known one. I mean, there's plenty of uh, Fed never made and never made a, a reflex camera, even though they uh, had some prototypes. that are basically copies of the. Uh, I think it was a Pentax. Uh, or the, the, the Spotmatic, or what, what, what is that mm-hmm. SLR? That they made? Yeah, so basically it was a copy of that. I think I've seen a prototype of it, but it never made to production. So, so yeah, out of... Oh, there's a start with KMZ, too. There was a fancy... There was a luxury line. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a really expensive camera. It would cost about, I think, close to 500 rubles, which was basically like three salary, three monthly salaries for an yeah. engineer. Uh, but it's a nice camera, and Mark had some nightmarish experiences with him as well. <laughs> he loves nice from that. It's it's working sweet. But I uh, have you... got oh, that's got an issue that I need a spare part for. I'll get the... You'll get you'll get to it. I mean, what because what is the availability like? I said we know that there's a lot of the more of the mass produced ones around, but when you start getting into these more. Um, obscure models where there is a high risk that you're going to need donor bodies you're going to need spare parts 
how does it work out like that? I mean, I know you've mentioned already, Vlad, that the stuff that's incredibly rare and worth huge amounts of money, but what's the middle ground of that like? It's not that bad. I mean, I, I, like stuff like Start, I mean, yeah, it's less common camera, but uh, it's still freely available. I mean, we're talking about like in a, on a scale of like Soviet production, we have whatever close to 8 million Zenit E's made mm -hmm. uh, between all the factories. Uh, that's just Zenit E. And we're not talking about all the rest of the Zenith when we're talking about, I don't know, close to 100 million cameras. Mm -hmm. uh, but Lestart, they did, they made maybe uh, close to, I don't know, was like 70,000, 80,000. So not that many in comparison, but they're still easy to find, I think, now, nowadays. And I mean, if you have access to a market in Russia, like uh, any kind of online sites there, there's always spare parts, like donors you can find, and people people sell them just uh, of their addicts. And, and that's the only reason, like, the the repair people in uh, Russia and Ukraine kind of survive, because you just buy up, buy up all these donor bodies. And then they're, they're fairly inexpensive there because people don't know what it is. They just kind of try to get rid of it. I mean, we'll, we'll take any money for it. So it's kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the reasons I, I, one of the reasons I kept dragging suitcases full of cameras back just to have more uncommon cameras as parts. I mean, I, I mean, the prices I paid were just unbelievable. And I had put like three of them, put one nice one together, you know? Yeah. It's worth it. <laughs> they were like, I think I heard you um, a long time ago on the Classic Lenses podcast talking about the fact that um, in some markets, like some of the cameras there are just so plentiful that they are basically regarded as trash. I think you were saying about a guy who was like taking bits off Zenits and just throwing the bodies onto the, <laughs> I don't know where he was right. throwing. Yeah, those were the Zenit E's and Zenit B's. Yeah, was, there was a kiosk on the street. The guy was just selling lenses from them. Mm-hmm. So they would just buy him with the lenses and just throw the bodies away. And then another, and and I had a friend who would go there and just pick him up and take him to a metal scrap because he would get more money from him. <laughs> this way, they they worth more in the weight of metal in Ukraine than they worth as cameras. So I mean, again, this is, we're talking about like millions and millions of these bodies. Yeah, I had a friend who bought who bought a whole warehouse full of Zenit ETs, brand new in a box. He just found it like in some basement. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and he had maybe fifteen hundred of them of, of those boxes. Fifteen hundred. <laughs> yeah, it's close to about that much. So I mean, nobody wanted them. He tried to sell them. So basically, he just ended up just taking the lenses out because lenses sell like hotcakes. Mm -hmm. The hill is he just took the lenses off, the brand new lenses, and he was just selling them off uh, for a few years and kind of. Uh, that's all he did. <laughs> it kind of gave him a nice cushy uh, salary for a few years. <laughs> you're you're shaking your head, though, Mark. This seems like it's really upsetting you to hear all of this. <laughs> I would really use those small parts. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think? I mean, the the classic. The I mean, you both. Well, I, you. Um, not you both, you got into this through enjoying using old lenses on modern cameras. And it does seem to me that whereas the quirky nature and variable quality of Russian camera bodies has deterred a bro broader modern base from wanting to engage with them, but the camera lenses, the, the lenses that were coming out uh, are held 
in high regard, um, especially now when people are looking for stuff that is a bit different. Do you think that's been a, a for, you know, I've been interested from you first, Mark, and, but from you as well, Vlad, do you think that's actually been a negative thing for the cameras as a whole? Because there's been so much of this, people buying cameras to get a lens and then the camera just being disposed of. Um, what's your experience with that as somebody who is absolutely guilty of doing that? <laughs> Yes and no, because um, you see, you'll get like on some of the groups that both myself and Vlad are on, um, you'll get people come on and ask about the cameras as well because they've found this. Oh, I wanted a Helios 44 and I've bought this camera. What's it about? And then they'll end up shooting with it and it opens up the world to them. Mm. And I guess it's sort of a niche thing anyway, uh, shooting film. So they've, they've already had their day, haven't they? So. Anybody who's getting interested in it, it's just a bonus off the back of the lenses. Mm. All I can say is that the people who are buying these lenses and using them on modern cameras, they like them for their flaws of yesteryear. Yeah. Give the camera a chance as well because that has its equal amount of flaws, which are sort of attractive. It is harder though. It's it's harder. I I, I can see the the problems with the because when those flaws are frequently film ruining. That that can be off-putting, and like I said, it's not. So, um, out of the cameras that I've used, my Kiev generally works okay. It scratches my lenses to pe my glasses to pieces, so it's cost me <laughs> hundreds of pounds worth of glasses. But that generally works okay. Um, and once I kind of got used to the kind of slightly, and I, I don't think this is exclusive to the Kiev, but the slightly like crab-like way you have to hold your hand so you're not obscuring the rangefinder, it's nice to use. Um, and that's the and the Fed two I love using. That's got light leaks, but that just needs seals and sorting out. So those two are great, and it's then it's downhill from there because every Zenit I've used, and I think I've used three different Zenits, they've all mauled film. Now, clearly, that's because I'm not using stuff that's got leather as a backing. Um, that's on me. <laughs> but it's as it's somebody who's maybe thinking, oh, I want to give this a go, and they have a go with it, and then the film gets... That's going to put them off. I've also shot with a couple of Lubitels. Um, and again, that experience is not full of joys, especially when the back just randomly will pop open and just go, there's all your film for the world to see, including the sun. <laughs> that happens a few times. Um, and the viewfinder is just terrible um as you look down and go I, I actually feel motion sickness from trying to focus this camera um so there are certain usability elements <laughs> that do make them almost aggressively unfriendly towards people who might want to engage with them i mean what what, what would you say to that mark what's your defense as your defender of these cameras it seems go into it with no expectation at all <laughs> <laughs> expect no images from you <laughs> I probably should have asked, how many cameras do you own? Like, what, I'm guessing probably not 1,100. Oh, I know about 100. Oh, God. Okay. So, I mean, I would be critical. I'm, not, I'm probably not that far off total with that, but about 100. Um, because this is one of the interesting things about the cameras as a, from the collector's point of view, is that as well as there being these small runs, there's a lot of variability within them, isn't there? So um, I, I know Vlad will talk to you about that, but what is it, Mark, when you've got 100 of cameras are those mostly Soviet cameras, or is this just a hundred cameras in general? Or that's only counting the Soviet cameras. Okay, okay. 
I've only got a handful of like Japanese ones that I was given and that I would never get rid of. I think. Yeah. Just because purely were gifts. Um, but and also you might want to shoot a roll of film and be confident that it's not going to get torn to shreds. Had <laughs> well, me a, a Spotmatic SP out the other day. Uh, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, I was going to ask. So, what kind of things are you looking for? Because you obviously you've got the basic stuff that's widely available. What are you then looking for? What Soviet cameras are appealing to you? Pretty much everything that Vlad right. likes as well. Sort of like I say, he's this little devil on my shoulder, whispering, <laughs> "Buy it, just buy it." <laughs> he's and he's he's right, you know. He's um, and then, and then he tries to buy them variations off us. Mm-hmm. So what sort of variation, because th- this is the thing that fascinates me, um, because you, you don't see this in other mass-produced cameras, uh, or very rarely. You're not going to go, oh, here's an, uh, an Olympus OM-1 with some weird different thing. You know, like the, you just don't see that, because it doesn't happen. They're all, everything's made uniformly in big factories, and it's all quality control is all. I mean, they don't even have a guy with a hammer at Olympus. Can you believe that? I don't know how many of those cameras are still. It's outrageous. Um Way more manufacturing like outlets than you'd think. <laughs> Good. It makes me happy to hear that. Um, Vlad, why is there so much variation? Why are there so many uh, almost unique cameras out there? Well, one of the reasons was that because uh, as the production went on for like really mass-produced cameras, they tried to simplify the production to make more of them faster. So you will see uh, on the early camera, for example, you will see four screws in the front of it, and in the later, and then in two years, it's been redesigned. So you see two screws now in front of it, and a year later, you would see there's only um, a the, blob of glue. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's it it it's a. Uh, I mean, like a like a hot shoe would be attached with uh, two screws instead of four, and and then and the, and the screws would like suddenly disappear or appear. I mean, they would correct flow designs. I mean, there's a lot of variations like that. But my favorites are exports. Uh, that's my probably my number one topic of uh, collection is because every country it's been exported to it either had like custom names on these cameras, or they would rebrand them. So, uh, like for if we take the same Zenit E, I have a, two shelves right behind me, right there, that are uh, just Zenit E's and from different countries. Uh, you would have different labels, uh, like Japan would put Mapro Zenit on them, the US would put Kalimar, Cambron tags on them, and sometimes they would glue them on just on top of the original name. Just like uh, the UK, TOE, London, they would just put like a foil sticker. A Zen- on a Zenith EM, they would put a foil sticker. It says Zenith EM. They would add an H. <laughs> and and I would order it because it's pretty sought after. And apparently the seller decides to peel it off right before he sends it to me. He's like, what's this crap? And and so I ordered a Zenith, Zenith EM and I get a I get open the box. S- same camera, same serial number, but instead of Zenith EM, it says Cosmorex SE on it. And the Cosmorex is another export that was actually custom ordered. So I have no idea why they would put Zenith EM <laughs> over Cosmorex. There was already a rebrand. Um, so and so there's so there's every country would have their own kind of variations. Uh, some were basically uh, custom ordered batches from a KMZ factory that would ask them, okay, now do you have to silk screen this name or silk screen that name on it and like Calamar. 
Uh, some would just slap tags on them. Some like have like little export little decal stickers. Those are all I like, consider variations. Some of them are like really expensive because they're super rare to find, and obviously supply and demand. So those are the most fun. I mean, there's a lot of Zenith variations like that. There's uh, some Smena camera variations. Uh, like Australia loved to put name Global on all the cameras and had them debranded. They didn't want any writing saying like Loma on it. Like uh, God forbid they find it that it came from USSR when they're selling it. In Australia, it has to say Global and nothing, no other branding. So you will find uh, like everything was like taken off the lens. Uh, they would give them like custom lenses. With like clean, clean uh, lens with just a serial number on it and so on. So it's just fun things like that. And we just collectors just go like crazy bottom. <laughs> well, He's probably I, I go crazy bottom. Yeah. <laughs> like, what was that one that you shared? It was an export variant because it didn't have any rivets on the front. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's uh, only an M or something. There's a Smena that's, uh, it looks like any other Smena, but the the front tag was glued instead of having rivets on the side and it's like really hard to notice that but but apparently it's pretty rare <laughs> so. i mean it's probably worth mentioning at this point um the name of the website that you uh, you created the website initially is that right lad ussrphoto.com yes because that's, that's been going for a long time hasn't it i i think it was originally what was it zorky cameras was that was it originally because I'm, I'm going back many years now i'm trying to remember when i was visiting no it. i my i started in 2005 so this was this was at a time when like people just had websites information websites mm -hmm. uh there's a fantastic site the sovietcams.com that was by idas picioras in lithuania uh it had like a very nice categorization but the problem was that like you wouldn't collectors in touch with each other uh so it was we're missing a forum there was a rangefinder forum it had some kind of soviet community there there were some news groups at a time in 2005 but uh, there was no like a proper forum just for soviet collectors so i made one and i made like a little wiki uh section like a catalog where you people would just upload their cameras their variations there's their models and uh all of a sudden it just took off because people found each other and started talking about it so i mean it was really active up until like the social media took takeover mm -hmm. about six seven years ago so if you look at the archives on the forum there's it's just like a treasure trove of information about this little tiny variations and like where each of the screws go on the bodies that uh, what, what you're looking for and so on so that's i mean it's an it's pretty well indexed in Google as well. So if you search for any kind of Soviet cameras, good chances are you're going to find either an image or a topic of conversation from my site. So it's, it's, it's been it's been around. It's a good place to go to if you've got one of these cameras and you want to find out more about it, learn some of its history, and find out if, where on earth the variant you've got fits into all of this. Uh, probably, yeah. The most hardcore collectors would probably read the, the posts there. Yeah. So you you would get really you would get really educated answers on it. And yeah. the good thing is about forums they're they're not as cluttered as social media, so you can always go back and find the information and it's well documented and and it's 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 in a more long form than you would get in comments like on Facebook groups for example. I mean, if I go back and I want to find something from 3 years ago, good luck with that. And like uh in on Facebook I mean, I I'm guilty of myself going kind of more towards social media cuz it's easy and uh there's a lot more bigger audience i mean so i started this group too called vintage camera collectors 
on Facebook. Uh, and uh, also, I'm an admin, a few more Soviet camera-related groups. So yeah, I mean, people ask questions, you answer, ask questions. But there's so much content uh, that's so diverse, and you just, you just lose it. I mean, people start asking the same questions over and over and over again. Yeah. At, so it's it's a contrast. I mean, people still use the forum sometimes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's uh, forums are. It's a shame that they have been sidelined so much because they do have. Uh, as somebody who probably visits forums looking for information on a, a wide range of stuff regularly, but that's it. I don't post to them very often. It's mostly a searching thing. And as you said, if that stuff is on Facebook, that information is being shared there. You're never going to find it. That's gone forever now. You're never going to find a Facebook post searching for information. And it's um... right. And Google doesn't do a really good job indexing the Facebook posts. So, no. and, and the groups are and the groups are closed, so you yeah. can't even search for the information. So it's never going to come up in your search. Yeah, it's a real shame. Um, I would love to. Now, I, we already talked about this earlier about this idea of which are the best um, Soviet cameras for somebody who wants to pick up their first Soviet camera and you mentioned about the Zorki 4 and the Fed 2. Um, I think there's a lot of value especially today when the price of so many cameras is getting pretty high. Things are, things are all getting expensive and I would love to go through <laughs> seeing as there were a lot of Soviet cameras which worked with the same lens mounts as Japanese, German, and other counterparts. Go through and kind of get some ideas. What would be your top recommendations for people who want to shoot with certain lenses and not pay the prices that go with them? So, um, and I'm not great with lens mounts. So, the I know that the Fed Two, uh, that's the M39, the old Leica screw mount. Is that correct? It's the L39. Yeah, L39. It's the like, right. So if you want it's to shoot Leica fun. lenses, but you don't want to pay for a Leica body, which is you know possibility because Leica bodies are expensive, um, the Fed Two is a good go-to. What about the Zorki Four? What's the um, mount on that? It's the same. That's the same, and yeah. and the Kievs, the Kiev Four A, which is what I've got. Contacts. That's a contact right, yeah. on that one. Yeah, but they're not like so Jupiter Twelves, and that can't really. It's it's not really compatible. I mean, it's 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 a context-like mount. I mean, you 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 can't put context lenses on it. Um, they don't fit really well. Right. So that's uh, kind of a so, fixed lens kind of thing, more with the Kievs, really. Well, they, they have different selections of lenses for them. Okay. Um, so, is there a a Russian camera that you can put a Leica M mount lens on? Uh, only the very newest. Uh, it's the very newest Z digital Zenit that they just made. There's I think that's the only. There's a digital Zenit. Who yes. Wow. The, the Zenit M uh, that uses the Leica mount. So the the body was actually made by Leica, but the, it's bundled with the uh, Russian optics, which are superb. Actually, I think it comes with a what is it, Mark? Point nine five lens. Yeah, fifty point nine five. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Like I wish I could afford one. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna have to Google. That. This is the thing I had no idea existed. This is this is a current camera that's being made. Yeah, in small quantities, though. It's more like a limited edition type of thing. They right. only made like 500 of them in the first batch, I believe. And I think they make made it. I don't. They were planning to do a second batch. I'm not sure if they made it or did not make it, but um, they run about was it five thousand or something five thousand dollars or. No, they they're not cheap. I mean, plus, right? I think they're not all they're all sold out. So. Right. It, 
It's basically okay. like ISP uh, with a Zenit branding. I mean, it was custom made for KMZ, but the lenses are just crazy whether yeah. it's bundled with them. Okay, well, we'll have to give them that. So um, as far as the SLRs go, you already mentioned... <laughs> I, I'm afraid I find it really hard to stay if you want a cheap M42 body go for Rosetta. I just can't I can't sit here in good content because there's so many good cheap <laughs> M42 Mike. so you know I mean the, the Zenit is out there if you want to try some good uh, I mean the Zenit is so cheap if you just want to experience a Russian camera there's nothing freer than the Zenit essentially if you'll be lucky if you go into a camera shop and walk out without being given the Zenit at this point um, but better m42 bodies are very cheaper also out there um the you mentioned the um was it the kiev 90 with the nikon mount no those are the key of 17 19 m and, and kiev 20 mm -hmm. those are the ones they have the nikon mount and are they pretty good cameras the, they, that was the one that they tried to kickstart a refresh of those didn't they a few years ago uh yeah the, yeah, I remember something of the source. I don't think he ever took off, but uh, it wasn't interesting. Oh, it was yeah. super expensive. What, Mark? Go ahead. I'm saying they were they were really expensive as well. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, uh, and are the, are those Kievs good cameras? Are they worth keeping an eye out for if you're looking for a Nikon mount body? Love mine. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty nice camera for what I heard. I mean, yeah. again, I don't shoot them. They just sit there pretty on the shelf. Glass focus screen. Mm -hmm. uh, it was quite nice, even without my glasses on. Yeah, being sighted, I can still focus quite nicely with it. So uh, yeah, quite nice, and they've got the vertical uh, metal shutter. As yeah. Well, so I've not seen one of those in the wild. So they're obviously they didn't appear in this country in the same quantities as the Zenix did. Um, um, the ones that, that I'm really interested in actually is the medium format stuff because medium format is, you know, like I said, that's a pricey area. So. I'm familiar, as I mentioned earlier, with the Lubitels, as TLRs go, the Lubitels. Uh, were there any better alternatives to the Lubitel? Um. Uh, yeah, go for a key of six. If you if you have a strong neck, get a <laughs> key of six C or or key of sixty. Uh, those are pretty nice. The key of six C has the uh, the Pentacon mount, mm -hmm. so you can put any Pentacon lenses on it. And so, and it also the I like the six C because it also has the it can take 120 and a 220 film. There's a switch on them. Yeah. So it's like the the only Soviet camera that does that actually. Uh, but they are really really heavy. I mean, it looks like a giant Zenit. <laughs> if you if you, if you ever uh, I don't know if you're familiar with those at all, but they're mm. they are absolutely humongous. Uh, I can I can grab one right here. It's, oh wow! Uh, yes. So let me <laughs> let me take that Almaz in comparison. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's a it's a very nice, but it's a super nice camera. The only problem is it has a shutter on the left side. So for some reason it was made for lefties, or I have no idea what was what was yeah. the deal here. But that is fantastic because kind of... yeah, it just does look like a jumbo sized Zenit, which yeah, a novelty Zenit. And are they pretty good mechanically? Uh, if you get one CLA, but nobody wants to work on them because uh, I, they are like, let's put it this way. I tried to fix one once and they're like, we can fix it. You can pay us, but when you get it, we don't guarantee it's going to work mm -hmm. because, because they're like, as soon as they fix them, they break again. Right. But uh, there was a few shops uh, that if you're looking into like, getting those for like actual real 
like heavy duty shooting. Uh, there was a, sh a few shops like Arax in Ukraine that would and uh, Hardly and Kiev USA here in U in US. It's closed for a while, but I think Arax is still around. But what they do is uh, they completely refurbish them. Uh, they basically get them to the point they're actually pretty nice and usable. Uh, they replace they replace a lot of factory parts. Like they do that for Kiev 88s as well, and those are the Hasselbladskis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> call them the, the Hasselblad copies. So, because they came with like a foil shutter, which is horrible. I mean, it opens a few times and then just gets stuck. So, a foil shutter? Yeah, it's like a foil. It's a shutter made out of. Yeah, I can grab one and show you. <laughs> you're sh again, you're uh, shaking your head again there, Mark. No. <laughs> let me, let me see. Yeah, so it's like a gold foil shutter. Uh huh. Uh, and uh, you, you, you bend it a little bit and it just stops working. Right. Uh, uh, so they the, those shops like Arex and they would replace them with a nice close shutter. They replace mm -hmm. some of the shutter parts. They replace like a lot of the speed controls, and they're actually pretty nice cameras. So I mean, I was actually me, Vlad, that put stuff on the shelf. I was shooting shooting with one. I was shooting a wedding with a Arex uh, KF eighty eight CM. I mean, it's completely rebranded. Sorry, I'm gonna. I'm grabbing one. That's why I disappeared. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna. So they put their name on it, so it doesn't say Kiev uh -huh. on it. It's a mirror image, so <laughs> it says Eric's on it. But they uh, they do a really nice job. I mean, they they they. You have a nice close yeah, shot. Yeah, that looks nice. None of that crappy foil. Yeah, <laughs> that you just put your. You can just put your fingers through it. It's horrible. Um, but uh, if you get one of these, they work really, really nice. I mean, okay. I, I mean, the lenses. Again, the lenses on these, on any of these Kiev's are top notch. I mean, yeah. I, 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 you would pay a fraction of a price you would pay for like a Hasselblad or like any kind of Zeiss lenses, uh, and and you probably won't see a big difference at all. I mean, they're, they're really really close in quality. I mean, it's fantastic lenses. That's so when you have a nice, yeah, when you have a nice uh, refurbished camera like this, they're not cheap if you find them, but uh, it it's a it's a great shooter. Yeah. What's your take on this, Mark? Yeah, I was going to ask Mark. What did you ever shoot with one? I haven't used an eighty-eight or an eighty, but I have got the uh, Kiev sixty. Um, I've never took it apart because it just worked. I bought mm -hmm. it from a guy in Swampy who sort of he knew what he was talking about, um, and it's it, it is it's really it's really nice shooter. I just it doesn't look particularly pretty compared to the eighty or the eighty-eight. Yeah. Um, that day, that SLR looks not doesn't do a lot for us. <laughs> it doesn't come off the shelf as much as it should. Makes you like got very small hands. <laughs> Makes your hands look small at least anyway. <laughs> um, but it is it is a it, lads right. They, the the images are cracking quality from them. Mm. They're really cracking. Uh, under, underrated. Yeah, it does sound like with all those ones that you're describing that um, be careful where they've come from because they. Although they're a lot cheaper than um, a lot of other medium format cameras, they're not ridiculously cheap, any of them, because of the lenses that they come with. They're not cheap. And it, it sounds like they're all a bit fragile. Would that be fair to say? I don't know. It's, it's, it's how people look after things, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know about it yet. I would probably avoid one from myself until I could get one from Arax or Hotplay or whatever they're called. I mean, if you look at eBay listings, I mean, I... In US, those cameras are super popular. 
uh, like the key of 60s, especially. I mean, they, the working ones go pretty high up, but I mean, there's like a slew of them that just like dead. I mean, I pick them up as like spare parts. I actually used one as a cactus pot once. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, Mar- Mar- Mark's like sh- rolling his eyes. I, I it's know. It's the same as a rare variation. You do the same face, I would think. No, I had so many of these. So, uh, but I, I, I eventually took it apart. I sent the nameplate to uh, a fellow and 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 a facebook group because they needed one we traded so i i salvaged it for parts but you know i have like a lot of uh ziploc bags of parts and uh and my in my in my cupboard <laughs> and those are the cameras i, I tried to fix <laughs> they yeah. ended up in the graveyard <laughs> in, in, the, in the ziploc bag labeled with what camera it is because it's completely unrecognizable yeah <laughs> And I suppose the last category, and I know absolutely nothing about this, is what was the situation with large format cameras? Uh, I mean, there were quite a few. I mean, there's a bunch of wooden cameras. It's probably one of the the longest camera ever made in the history of any camera ever made. It was the, the FKD uh, <laughs> camera. I think it was made from like 1930 all the way to late 1990s. And to, and it was basically unchanged. Mm-hmm. It was the same, like uh, they produced the same camera and was made by various furniture factories too. It wasn't even made by uh, like a camera. I mean, some, a couple of them were made by camera factories, but a bunch of them were just like like a Kharkov uh, furniture factory. I don't know. Uh, it's mostly wood. Uh, but there was, those was the dominating uh, quantity was those FK, FKD. They were they came from like from a thirteen by eighteen all the way to I've seen them the FKP like thirty by forty, and I've seen some that you could like fit a few people inside. So um, it's just huge. You could put a bed inside of it. <laughs> That's what was like, one of my original plans to have a camera bed. <laughs> <laughs> some children dream of a race car bed, but not you. You want right. a camera bed. <laughs> I'm just afraid this if the sun's gonna come through the window, go through the lines, it'll just burn me to death. <laughs> but uh there there was a few pavilion cameras, like more of like uh modern ones. Uh was a Rockers camera made by Bilomo. I actually have one sitting right next to me. Mm-hmm. See, it's like uh like it's electronic electronic electronically controlled as like a big like uh looks like a space station control panel thing with a bunch of with a bunch of switches those you know metal switches is kind of cool yeah um but other than that very small quantity of like some experimental ones but mostly it's just wooden stuff i mean that looks exactly the same model to model just different tags yeah on them <laughs> yeah that's that's cool well, it's good to look out for and i also like the fact that fkd that's amusing to me um <laughs> Before we get out of here, I just want to do a quick round again. And Mark, um, as the shooter, and, and I mean, I've seen your Instagram feed. You are a very good shooter. Your photography is fantastic. You've got some beautiful work on there, uh, a wide range of stuff. Um, some of it you're shooting with these cameras, some of which you're shooting using these lenses on modern cameras, all of which look stunning. Really lovely stuff. Um, what advice can you give somebody who maybe has one of these cameras that they took the lens off and they've never used or has they picked one up or they want to pick one up in terms of 
just handling them, getting the best out of them. And I know what you said, go into expecting nothing and you won't be disappointed. But what advice can you give to people to mitigate as many of the circumstances as possible in terms of shooting, caring for, etc., with a Soviet camera? I would exercise them first. That's for sure. Just like wind and fire it a little bit. Um, you can get into it a little bit more. I mean, take the back off and just make sure that the curtain's travelling uh, as it should be. Your speeds look to be about right. A, a little general clean with like, the pr- of the prism and the mirror. You know, like they, they'll it'll help you in no end. Join a Facebook group or a forum like Vlad's and ask for help from people who know how to fix them. Mm-hmm. That's that, that's the key. If you can find someone who's willing to spend a little bit of time with you to get, get it right, your, your success rate is going to skyrocket. My key to success, at least anyway. Yeah. A lot of help from good people. And as far as shooting them goes, is there any special considerations you would use over and above any other camera? How, how do you mean? Like, is... There are some cameras that I pick up and I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to take this out and I'm not going to think about what I'm doing and I'm just going to blinding on, cranking away, blah, blah, blah. But we've already talked about the fact that the some of the cameras have certain features which make that uh, you need to be a little bit more careful with. Is there, is there anything that you behave differently with when you're using some of your Soviet cameras that you do when you're just shooting whatever? Not really, no, because I, I, I have like I shoot quite an eclectic mix of cameras from yeah. the Soviet Union. So some days I might just pick up my medium format, other days I'm using a little point and shoot LCA. No, I haven't come across the conditions where I've felt like I could have done with. A specific camera. Never felt that. So, do you feel quite strongly then that these cameras should be being used more? Yeah, the, the, they've got a bad reputation and they don't really deserve it at all. Yeah, you wouldn't expect a thirty-plus-year-old car to just fire up for like when it's not being looked at, would you? That's true. The, the problem is though that so many thirty-plus-year-old Japanese cameras do just work. I think that the problem is that the competition is quite strong in that market. I I can explain why. Go on, please do. Uh, so, the Japan and Germany, uh, the way they build their cameras, they would use a non-organic uh, lubricant in their cameras, and uh, the Soviet cameras were basically organic lubricant made from animal byproducts. So the non, the synthetic lubricant that we used does, does not harden as it as the Soviet one. So this that's why the Soviet cameras a lot of the stuff. Ninety nine percent of the issues is the hardened lubricant inside the camera that prevents you from using it. So that's the problem. Um, it's it's just the way they're built. I mean, if you if you would have if you take it apart, clean it out, replace the lubricant with synthetic one, these cameras will work forever. As yeah. The, it's it's just the nature of I guess they made a mistake in doing that. Yeah. That that's the difference between your twenty quid camera of the day and your hundred and fifty quid camera of the day. Yeah. 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 And the fact that the door doesn't always pop open on the back of my Yashika. There are there are other differences between you can tell that there's some there's some deep seated pain with my Lubitels that, that when I look at my Yashika and I look at my Lubitel, I don't just go, Yeah, it's the different lubricants that's making the difference between these two cameras. Like, no, no. There are other differences. Get the later Lubitel, the 166 Universal. That one actually locks, so it doesn't have the accidental <laughs> I've, thing. I've used both of them. I've got, I've got, a, I've got the 166B and the Lubitel 2, and I am, 
I think I've put two rolls through the 166B. I am never putting another one through because that actually, I mean, I think what I did with that is I tore the back of it and I've um, quite literally sellotaped on an instant back onto it. I've made a real Frankenstein's monster out of it, but it's still being used. <laughs> um, but I actually found the Lubitel 2, a, it it took better pictures, without a doubt. The, the, the 166B, it wasn't just that the back still wasn't very firmly secured. They just didn't. It was all over the shop. It was a it was a thing. Um, there you go. I, I I had very positive experience with the two. Actually, I shot I shot two rolls in Paris and it was like, came out fantastic. It has mm. this kind of like really retro looking uh, result that uh, yeah you you get this kind of blurring going like vignette almost like vignetting, but it's almost like vignettes. And blurs at the same time towards the outer edges. Yeah. So you get this like really cool kind of effect that I mean I, I haven't seen it in any other medium format. It, it's I guess it's like an it's more like an art camera. Yeah. Then yeah, it's definitely it's very soft. I mean, if you like the kind of look and it, it's kind of cool, but it's definitely not for like hardcore like uh, photo studio shooting. Yeah, it's nice though. It's just the right amount of shitty. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. The Lubitel 2 is unpleasant to use. The Like I said, trying to focus on, on stuff and see what you're shooting is horrible. The shutter button to crank it is the smallest thing and it's awful to use. It's all bad. But you look at the results at the end and go, huh, okay, that was worth the pain. Whereas the 166 is slightly better in terms of usability but the results are just hot trash, at least in the one that I've got. <laughs> and I'm prepared to accept that model variability is high. Terrible results. But anyway, that's by the by. Um, Have you used the little loop on the uh, on the little two? Yes, focus? I've used the little. <laughs> <laughs> still, it, still, the... still was it the tiny, tiny spot of <laughs> ground glass? <laughs> oh man, well, that's the. That's the funnest part. That is the fun part. That's where the fun lives. Yeah. Well, like I said, now now mine is just this Frankenstein's monster of an Instax camera, and that's where the fun lies. <laughs> it's great. It's good. It's It's got a lot more use from that than it ever would have done otherwise. Um, we should get out of here, and I should let you especially go to bed, Mark. I just want to very quickly ask, because you're both collectors, maybe one of you was a slightly larger habit than the other. Um, you first, Vlad. Is there a holy grail camera that you above all others would love to find would love to come across that you don't have in your collection that you really want that you know is out there yeah i really want that the gums reporter camera i still have yet to find it for any kind of uh i guess price that makes sense yeah um that's it that's the makina copy it's a really nice looking camera if you're Try to Google it. Um, one of the probably one of the most mechanically well made, just design and and aesthetically well made cameras. It's from about 1939. It's a pre war camera. Awesome. And what about you, Mark? It's that Pioneer, the Loom Pioneer. It's the um, the one Vlad was talking about before that are like $20,000. Aiming oh, higher. One. <laughs> Love one. And what's special about it? It's twenty thousand dollars. It's just a. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Have a look at one that is one regularly goes up on eBay for about twenty five grand. 
it doesn't ever sell there. And I, I put it in my watch list and I just sort of ogle it now and then. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds good. Well, that's awesome. And it's beautiful. Okay, uh, well, know, look. you'll have to give me a link to it and I'll put it in the show notes so we can look because I've never heard of either of those. And whilst I can picture the one that Vlad was talking about because, you know, I know what the press camera looks like, I can't imagine what the one you're talking about looks like. So I would love to see that. Um, it's one of the first attempts to copy the Leica, so that's why it's like very historically okay. significant. Okay, that, that does sound very produced. cool. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining me this evening. This has been really cool. And uh, you've made, have you made me feel less judgmental about Russian cameras? Maybe. I think you've definitely made me feel more like I want to get out with the ones I like. Um, and, and made me feel like, yeah, there are some really good cameras out there. Um, and I, I, I think that more than anything, it, it's given me a, a, even more enthusiasm just for the, Everything that goes with them, as you said, both in the terms point of view of the historical and the uh, stories that go around them and where they've come from and why they've ended up being the way they are, to the unique experience of using them, because they are a unique experience and everybody should have a go with one. And because they made so many different types from, as you said, things like the Lomo LCA through the various rangefinders up to the um medium format stuff like whatever your poison is you're gonna find something there that you can have a go at the russian flavor of it and i think that's great everyone should try one out at some point um but as mark said go into it with your expectations set appropriately <laughs> and that way <laughs> no expectations um and you'll probably be delighted you might be horrified um vlad where can people go to find you and what you're doing um, I'm always uh, around on uh, a few Facebook groups. I'm in the Soviet cameras, Soviet, what is it called? The Soviet camera and lenses group. I'm in the uh, Soviet cameras made in USSR group. And I'm also always on vintage camera collectors group there. Uh, also, my Instagram is, uh, uh, my Instagram handle is USSR photo. And my website is USSRphoto.com. And there's also a Facebook blog called USSRphoto.com <laughs> blog. Um, and uh, feel free to send me messages. I mean, through Facebook, I'm always glad to answer any questions about Soviet cameras. So, brilliant stuff. And Mark, what about you? I'm in the same group that he's in. That's how we found <laughs> each other on um, Facebook. Um, but I am also on Instagram, Mark underscore Beadle ninety. Um, that's that's my main page. And likewise, anybody wants to reach out, yeah, I've, I've got. Them. I'm not working at the moment, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And do go and check out Mark's Instagram page. I'll put the link in the show notes to all of these things, or at least as many of them as I can remember. <laughs> from Probably not all the Facebook groups, but um, but yeah, do go and check out the Instagram page for Mark's work. It's really lovely stuff. Uh, I, I, the occasional pictures of cameras, which is very restrained, and they are very beautiful um, cameras you've got on there, but mostly just really lovely photography, so well worth anyone's time going and having a look. Um we will get out of here now. Uh, I don't... There might be something going up either on Sunny 16 Presents later this week or possibly on the feed because, um, as you may have realised, Rachel's been absent more than she's not been absent lately on the podcast. Uh, hopefully by the end of this week you'll know why. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's the plan. So watch uh, one or both of those feeds um, and we can at least let you know what's going on with that. Uh, there's a teaser for everybody to ponder on. Um, uh, we will play you out, as always, 
mentioning Rachel with her band, The Fabulous Roja. You can find their music on Bandcamp, on Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever good music is found. And as I mentioned last week, check out YouTube as well because there's some great videos on there with Rachel in them. If you want to get in touch with us about any of the stuff we've talked about, uh, it seems like talking to either Mark or Vlad is a far better idea. But if you want to get in touch and let us know about your own experiences shooting with Soviet cameras, I would love to hear them because they are never a neutral experience. You are never going to pick up a Soviet camera and have a neutral experience. You will either love it and it will be the best thing ever or you will be going, I took all the most important pictures of my life with it and then the camera mangled it. It's going to be one of those two experiences. I love hearing both of them. So please do write to us at sunny16podcast at gmail.com and we'll be back with you again very soon. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. No, Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.